0: Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see everyone again. I it's twice this week. I've been uh, being here, but uh, I was saying on Wednesday that um, it's weird. It's kind of surreal. It's like I've seen you know. I was just talking to Brett, and last time Brett and I chatted was probably a year and a half ago. So it's like this this time period where we haven't seen each other, but then it feels like we've just seen each other too. So. Anyhow, good to be here. My name is David. Uh, I'm a pastor in Coquitlam Alliance Church, but uh, I love Hillside, and uh, I'm so thankful that Derwin invites me to, uh, to come, and he was telling me that um, you're doing a series on prayer, and so he asked me if I could do something on prayer, and, and so I, I think I threw him a curveball. I said, well, why don't I do something on praying with the Puritans? And He's like, okay. And so that's what we're going to do today. And so I'm hoping, I'm hoping it could be, because, you know, there's not like lots of us. um, It could be conversational and we can have some interaction. Are you okay with that? Uh, It'll be fun. It it will be fun. So um, what we're going to do today is we're going to look, uh, learn how to pray from the Puritans. Now, when I say Puritans, when you hear the word Puritan, what comes to mind? Perhaps it's something like these images here. You almost make my heart dance, and dancing is forbidden. (laughs) Or it could be something like uh, this next one. Roses are red and violets are blue, and neither are useful or necessary at all. That's what comes to mind when you think of puritans. (laughs) Or I think I have a third one. What's our third one? Is there a third one? Oh, yes. Oh, no, we already did that one. Yeah. Is there a third one? Maybe it's just those... (laughs) I, had a, I thought I had a third one. Anyhow, those are uh, those are some of the images that uh, some people come to mind when they think of the Puritans. They think of, uh, maybe you read um, The Crucible in high school, Arthur Miller about the Salem Witch Trials, uh, or The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne, and Puritans are dour, boring people, producers of shame and guilt, and wear funny-looking clothes, and thanksgiving and i don't know what comes to mind let me ask you does what comes to mind when you think of puritans have you ever heard of puritans some of you are like it mean it's strict yeah very plain clothed people yeah well i think that's how a lot of people think of the puritans and i have to say there were some puritans that were kind of like that they had you know lemon juice in their veins kind of thing but um but I don't think that's actually how the puritans were as a whole. And uh what I'd like to do is I want to introduce you to the puritans because I think they can actually teach us a lot about how to pray. Now, who were these puritans? They were 16th and 17th century calvinist type Christians from England, then America, and even if you can believe it, Canada. But I think they can teach us how to pray. They can teach us lots about the the Christian life. And so I wanted to begin with um, two passages just to frame our time together. Um, Because the Puritans would use these type of passages as, um, as frameworks for the Christian life, especially for prayer. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields his fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous." For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And then in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your word and through your servants in history. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to respond. And as we sang this morning, give us Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so today we're going to do three things. We're going to uh, just briefly look at what these Puritans, what they believed. We're going to look at... What they can teach us today, and then we're going to look at how they teach us how to pray. Okay, so who we introduce you briefly to these Puritans, what, uh, how they, what they can teach us today, and then how how we can pray. So, what were these Puritans like? Well, here's the thing: they took God very seriously. They took God very seriously, especially God's sovereignty, and his providence. For the, for the Puritans, all of life was sacred. All of life was sacred. So there was no, you know, I come to s- church on Sunday and I do my Sunday thing, but then, man, Monday, a whole new set of rules because <laughs> you don't know where I work and the, some of the people that I work with. So the Puritans would never say, okay, Sunday you act one way, Monday you act differently. For them, all of life, all of life belonged to God. All of life was to be lived before an audience of one. And all of life was meant to be lived in this narrow way, walking the way of Jesus. Now, I lay that out because how many of us operate by different rules throughout the week? That, you know, Sunday is one rule. Small group night, maybe, a day, again, same rule. But then, <laughs> during the week, we operate, we compartmentalize our lives into different, different sections. For the Puritans, they're like, nah, all of life has to be lived coram deo, before the face of God, recognizing that God is sovereign and he is integrated in everything that we say and we do. I think that's something that we can recapture as a church. Secondly, they were lovers of God's word, Oh, they loved the Bible. And they knew God's Word inside out. They were soaked in Scripture. They saw Scripture as a measuring stick for all action. And they knew that their conscience was clear if it was in line with what the Bible said. Again, the question for us this morning is, do we love God's Word? The other thing is, they, um, they were readers. And so wherever you found Puritans, you found high literacy rates, very high literacy rates. The entire family would be taught to read. Thirdly, they were aware of the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting, just as a geeky history note, but they were the first major Christian movement after the early church that really paid attention to the Holy Spirit. They saw how the Holy Spirit worked in conversion, uh, how the Holy Spirit would convict us of our sins, give us insight into Scripture, lead us in the narrow way, give us, and the Holy Spirit would give us a taste for the things of God. Uh, I remember before I was a Christian, as some of you know, like I grew up, I was an atheist, I was a Marxist in, in university, atheist, materialist type person living overseas, and I remember somebody gave me a Bible and said, David, you should read this Bible. I'm like, oh, you know, I like reading, but this Bible's really boring. You know, I tried to read it, and it just, it just was killing me. I, I hated it. But when I came to faith, I read the same Bible, and it was alive. It was alive. And the, it was like it was, the words are jumping off the page. And the difference is, is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is interesting, but the Puritans, they believed that conversion was not like that. It would take a long period of time. Conversion was a long, drawn-out process where our hearts were taught to fear before our hearts, our fears relieved. They took Christian growth very seriously, and we'll come back to this. But the other thing about the Puritans is they understood suffering. They got suffering Uh, because to be a Puritan, every Christian was to live his life or her life as a pilgrim on this long journey. And so what was one of the most famous Puritan books written? Does anybody know? Think of Pilgrim, Pilgrim's Progress, yeah, Pilgrim's Progress, or if you're American, Pilgrim's Progress. Um, And so they would teach about how we would experience many dangers, toils and snares, and we had to be protect it along the way so this christian life of ours is not an easy life it's a wonderful life but it's not an easy life and so we needed to be prepared and so they had this one guy who wrote this two volume thing just on 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 the armor of god that we need to fight against sin in our hearts and sin in the world and the other thing about the Puritans is, again, they, they understood suffering. They lived in a time period where you know, life expectancy was really low. I remember when I was in Boston, and I, my, my kids hated it because I, I love going to cemeteries. <laughs> I'm just dying to go to cemeteries. No, sorry, that's a bad joke. Um, but I remember going to the cemetery in Boston and seeing three little gravestones. It was interesting. Just small gravestones. And on each one, it was the same name Jedediah, 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 from the 1600s. And what it meant is that this family had a little baby, and they wanted to name the baby Jedediah. Baby died, had another baby named Jedediah, died, had another baby named Jedediah, and died. And so it was just, you know, mortality rate was very high. And so the Puritans, they understood suffering. They understood suffering. Politically, they lost every battle they fought. Actually, the Puritans were not a very successful movement. So what can the Puritans offer us today? Well, they can give us a picture of spiritual maturity. They can teach us how to integrate our faith into our daily lives. They can leave us with a testimony of deep spiritual experiences. Again, you read some of these guys, it's it's rich stuff. They can teach us a model of effective action. They, they actually believe that Jesus was so important that it affected not just myself, but it affects how we should live in this world. It affects how we should understand the world. And so for the Puritans, there's no, you know, I like, I, I, just me and Jesus. I, I like Jesus, I can worship Jesus just on my own, at my home. No, it, it, Jesus intersected with every aspect of life. The Puritans, they cared a lot about the family. They saw the the family as a little church. And marriage. Oh, the Puritans cared about marriage. First movement since the early church that cared about marriage. Because they saw your spouse not as, you know, a child bearer or whatever. They saw your spouse as a companion for the journey. Right? So, that's the Puritans, but they can also teach us how to pray. They can teach us how to pray. So let's look at how the Puritans can teach us how to pray. One of the things the Puritans teach us is that we can pray in the morning and in the evening. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. That was the Puritans. They would say, so how you would would begin the day made a huge difference in terms of how your, how your day was going to go. And so they would encourage you, first thing in the morning, first thing in the morning, <laughs> not to check your phone. <laughs> oh my goodness, how often do I do that now? The first, you know, because, and part of the issue is my phone is my alarm. I shouldn't do that. But, you know, my alarm goes, I turn my alarm off, and I check the scores, and I check this, and I check You begin the day, you begin the day with prayer. And if your personal walk with Jesus is dry, this will affect your whole life. This will affect everything. And so, the most important practice for Christians is to begin the day, to begin the day with secret worship that's what they called it, with prayer and meditation. Now, What is your rhythm each day? How do you begin the day? How do you end the day? Like, it makes such a difference. Now, the the issue I have is I'm a chronic insomniac, so I'm up most of the night, and then when I do fall asleep, (laughs) it's usually in the morning, and I'm like, I got to get up, and, and so it just throws my rhythm off, but my desire is that every morning I would begin the day with Jesus. It makes a difference. It orients you for the day. And then to end the day with reflection, how did the day go, right? How many of you have that rhythm? I see that hand, I see those hands, yeah. How many of you would love that rhythm? I see those hands, yes. (laughs) I mean, and that's our, we begin with desire. That is our desire, right? Now, some of you, you know, you work at 4.30 in the morning. It's like, well, okay, what am I to do? Get up at 3.30? Okay, no, you you adjust. But uh, it's important to begin the day with prayer. Then they would pray the Word. They would pray the Bible. And if you wanted to, to learn how to pray, you look at these Puritans, and they were saturated in Scripture. They were saturated in Scripture. And so what I want to do is I'm going to lead us in prayer with a Puritan prayer at this point. And, um, and I want you to listen to this prayer. Enter into the prayer. It's a book called uh, Piercing Heaven. It's a book on, uh, on the Puritans. I think Simon Peacock told me about this one. So listen to this prayer. You'll get a taste of the Puritans. Merciful Lord God, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You say it is done of things that are yet to come. So faithful and true are your promises. Lord, you have promised by your own word, out of your own mouth, that to anyone who is thirsty, you will give the fountain of the water of life freely. O oh Lord, I thirst. I long for one drop of mercy. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, O oh God. For your compassion. If I had the glory, the wealth, the pleasures of the whole world, if I had 10,000 lives joyfully, I would lay them down just to have this poor, trembling soul received into the bleeding arms of my blessed Redeemer. O Lord, my spirit within me is melted into tears of blood, my heart is splintered into pieces. Out of the place of dragons and the shadow of death, I lift up my thoughts heavy and sad before you. The memory of my former vanities and sins is poison to my soul. The very flames of hell, Lord, the fury of your just wrath, the scorchings of my conscience have so wasted and parched my heart that my thirst cannot be quenched. My desire is for the pardon and grace of Jesus Christ. And Lord, in your blessed book you cry, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. In that great day of the feast, you stood and cried, If anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. And these are your words. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. And so I challenge you, Lord, in my extreme thirst for you and for spiritual life in you, by that word and by that promise which you made, make it good to me. I grovel in the dust and tremble at your feet. Open now that promised well of life, for I must drink or else I die. Amen. What stood out to you? Anything stood, stand out to you in that prayer? I hear, sort of. Say it a little bit louder. Beautiful, yeah. It's it's saturated in Scripture too, because he's just saying, "This is what your word said." So I challenge you: give me, you know, give me something to drink, because I am dying of thirst here. I love that. It's very honest, very rich, and so they would pray the word. And if you want to learn how to pray the word, look at the Puritans. They would also pray with humility. They would stand under the word. They would say, you know. I bring nothing to the table. I need to stand under the word. I need to stand. Um, and they would, they would open their hearts to God. They would say, God, look at my heart. And I'll tell you, the Puritans, they got a little focused on the heart. They would say, look at the sin of my heart. Okay, you see the sin? Okay, look at the sin underneath that sin. You see that sin? Look at the sin underneath. Yeah, yeah, keep going, keep going. But they would drill down. They would drill down. And and but as they would do this, as they put their heart before God, what would happen? They would cultivate a heart of thanksgiving. And I remember um, we did this this week as a, as a staff. Uh, Daryl Johnson teaches about the three by ten. Have you ever heard of the three by ten? You try this. You write down ten things that you're thankful for. Should be quick, right? Wait, and then write down another ten. Wait, and then write down another 10. And what it does is it cultivates the heart of thanksgiving. And the Puritans were good at this. So I want to look at three practices that the, the Puritans offer us, three practices that maybe we can walk away with. The first one is this, praying with a journal. How many of you keep a journal? Okay. So the five... Yeah. <laughs> Some, some of our journals, you flip a few pages, you cover a few years, right? Um, a journal. What, what, what's the benefit of keeping a journal? You can go back and read it. it. Yeah, it helps you process what you're thinking and feeling. Yeah, very good. You can look, at, look back at things. helps you process anything else. So it organizes your life in some ways. Yeah, very good. It makes me appreciate what God has given me. Yeah. And be thankful. It it helps you appreciate what God has given you and helps you to become thankful. Yeah, very good. Because sometimes we're like, oh, God, how come you're not answering my prayer? And you look back and say, oh, actually, he did. Right? Yeah. The other thing I find, it, it helps me concentrate. Because when I pray, my, oh, dear God, I wonder if the, what time the soccer game, you know, you know it's just my mind goes a hundred different directions. But when you're writing, it helps you focus, right? Well, the Puritans, they, they knew about journaling. And the benefit of journaling is it right away reminds you you're not alone. That God is present, God is listening. And so I would encourage you to try journaling, some, and, and don't worry about whether what you're writing is correct or not. Don't worry about spelling. Um, just, just try it out. And when you journal, what I do is I, I journal my, their, their prayers. And I just, just write them out. And it helps you focus. So there's this one fella named John Beadle. He's the, uh, the, the original Beadle. Um, John Beadle, Diary of a Thankful Christian. And he was an English Puritan. And he says journaling is actually the key to growth. Uh, journaling, journaling will teach you how to pray. And uh, so he he, he, taught, he taught people um, different things that they could pray about by journaling. And so here's some of the things that he encourages Christians to journal and pray about. One is he encouraged you to uh, the way he put it is, keep an account of your effectual calling. What in the world does he mean by that? He's just just try to remember what God has done for you. Remember your salvation. There's a guy named, uh, you know, John Newton. Heard of John Newton? Amazing Grace. Uh, he was quite influenced by the Puritans. Well, Newton, every year, he would try to remember the moment where he first knew about Jesus. And he would keep anniversary dates. And he'd mark down anniversary dates. And so I have certain anniversary dates in my spiritual life that I'll journal about and I'll try to remember. Because you try to remember, you know, who God was and the very fact that he saved you. Secondly, he would encourage you to take note of what God is doing in and around you these days. That God is much more active than you realize. And when you write things down, it'll be like, huh, you end up like Jacob. You know Jacob in, in, in the book of Genesis? Jacob, when he, he goes to sleep and he wakes up after having this incredible dream of God and ladders and angels, what does Jacob say when he wakes up? Does anybody know? He goes, huh. I don't know if he said, huh, but I read that in. He goes, huh, surely God is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. And that's what journaling does. It's like, huh. Huh. Surely God was in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it until now and when I look back, right? Thirdly, it helps you remember to express gratitude for all the dangers, toils, and snares that God has brought you through. So have you got through some financial issue? Has God brought you through some broken relationship? And writing these things down, as one guy put it, <laughs> moves us from saying, whoa, was I ever lucky to get through that, to God, you were in this the whole time. Fourthly, it, 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 it helps you um, remember those who have helped you along the way, like teachers, helpers, colleagues, family members, strangers, you know those people that are really annoying. Don't look at them or point at them, but you know the ones I'm talking about, right? Right? Um, but people who can be quite annoying can actually help you grow in your faith, and so you you recognize just all the different means that God has brought around you to help you grow in your faith. And again, uh, you write down how God has answered your prayers, and you remember that God is much more active than you realized. And that's what I find. You know, when I look back at my journal, I'll be like, huh. God has answered these prayers. I've been asking him for these things, and he's actually answered them. And It helps you remember that. The other thing it does is um, journaling, I find, is it helps you to identify seasons in your life. Like there's sometimes I'll be in a, I'll be in a state where it's just like, oh, my heart is dry, God seems far away, my life is empty, you know, what's going on? And then what I do is I look back in my journal to the very same month, a year ago, be like, oh, God, my life is dry, my God, you're empty, where are you? And I realize, okay, there's certain seasons in my life where God seems further away than other seasons. And once you know that, that helps you realize you don't get so worked up and realize that, okay, you know the Christian life is like this, that's okay. So it helps us pay attention to God. So I think journaling is important. Yeah, the second thing is this, that uh, the Puritans teach us, is they teach us how to pray by heart-keeping. heart-keeping. what do I mean by that? Well, again, they look deep, deep within their hearts. <laughs> and, but there's a difference between navel-gazing and self-examination. They're not navel-gazers, they are self-examiners. And they want the Word and the Spirit to reveal the stuff that goes on in their hearts. And so there's this fellow named Thomas Hooker. um, And he lived in the the late 1500s. And so he wrote this book called The Character of the Sound Christian in 17 Marks. So he looks at what does a mature Christian look like? And he lays out 17 characteristics. So let's go through each 17. No, no, just kidding. (laughs) Let me look at a couple of them. Here's here's, here's one of them. This is the way he describes it. He says, this is Mark number 3. He says, If when thou mournest for the sins of the time, thou take heed that thou art not infected by them. So what does this mean? (laughs) He goes, don't just complain about your life. Don't just complain. Don't complain about how bad the world is. But look at the similar things in your own heart. And sometimes as Christians, we're like that. You know, the world is so selfish. The world is out there. And people are so self-centered. And he said, don't be pointing your finger at the world and how self-centered the world is. Look at your own heart and see if you don't have the same stuff in your own heart, which is not a bad idea, actually, for us to look at. <laughs> so what would be the, uh, the application Before you post that thing online, complaining about whatever the government's doing or (laughs) whatever, look at your own heart first. That's what he's saying. And then he says this. He says, If thou canst chide thine own heart for the coldness and dullness of it to good duties and use all holy means for quickening up afterwards." Okay, what what, what do you mean by that, Thomas? Um, Well, what he says is that your heart can grow cold. And rather than wallowing in the fact that our hearts have grown cold, he says, do something about it. I meet Christians all the time. that They say, you know, my heart's so cold. I'm not really into this Jesus thing. God seems so far away. I'm like, okay, so what are you doing about it? Well, you know, he just seems really far away. Yeah, you mentioned that. Um, What are you going to do about it? Well... Thomas Hooker is say, do something about it. If your heart is cold, try to warm it up. Do whatever you can to warm up your heart. So don't just say Christian life is dull and boring, but don't do anything about it. Do something about it. So what are some things you can do about it? Well, you can journal, right? There you go. The other thing he says, if you can be patient under afflictions or better for afflictions. So he says, you know, you have to realize that the Christian life is not always a hilltop experience. So the question is, how are you handling your struggles? And he says, write them down. Write them down. And ask the question, is God teaching you something in your struggles? And finally, he just encourages us to live under the Bible. What does the Bible teach, and are we living under it? All right? So let me introduce you to the last one this morning. And the last one is this fella who's got a great name. His name is Cotton Mather. (laughs) Yes, uh, Cotton. Yeah, they had some fun names, right? But he wrote this book. Cotton Mather wrote this book, which had a very funny name. So he is a Bostonian Puritan, and he encouraged Christians to meditate on things. So this is a book that he wrote. You ready for the title? This is a catchy title. The book is called A Disciple Warming of Himself or Owning of His Lord with Devout and Useful Meditations Fetched Out of the Fire by a Christian in a Cold Season Sitting Before It. That's the title of the book. It sticks, catches, catches your mind. And so what he says, he says we need to meditate on Scripture. Yes, we need to meditate on Scripture. So he felt it necessary for the Christian to spend 15 minutes each evening doing two things we read the word and we ask ourselves what does scripture say and then he says we need to form ourselves and ask the question what needs to change in my life so what does scripture say and what needs to change okay so that's the theme of the puritans but he does something a little bit different he also says you need to meditate on creation but what does that mean? He says, well, he says, when you're out walking, fix your eyes on an object. And, and look at that object and try to connect it to the Christian life that God has called you on. And then to live it out. So let me give you an example, and then I'm going to get you guys to try something. Right? You're okay with that? It'll be fun. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. I mean, cotton mather. It'll be fun, Right? So Mather, he says, ordinary objects can can teach us lots of things. So he says, one night he looked at a fire and he watched the flames of the fire on a cold, wintry evening in Massachusetts. And he noticed the flames and how quick the flames were moving. He says, you know what, we need to be quick, just like those flames in obeying God. In the same way that the flames rise upwards, our prayers need to rise upwards to God. If you don't tend the fire, the fire will go out. And if we don't tend the spiritual fire in our hearts, our hearts will grow cold. A fire can be smothered if the wood is piled too closely. And so grief and sorrow can also smother us unless we talk to people about these things. And as tongs can be used to pull out a burning log, God may rescue us out of the burning circumstances of our life and set us free. I think that's kind of fun. What do you think? Is it lame or is it okay? So this is something that you can try. So here's an example. Let's, let's, let's have fun with it. Do I have a picture? Do I have a picture of a tree? Well, we don't need a picture of a tree. I guess you can all imagine what a tree looks like. Okay, then we have a picture of a tree. So, You're walking along, and you come across this tree. And you think, huh, what would Cotton Mather do? What would he say? So looking at this tree, how can this tree cause us to reflect on the Christian life? Go. Ah, with maturity, we can strengthen and deepen our roots. Well done. What else? Provide Provides, yeah, in the same way we can s- sit under the shadow of God's wings. And, um, yeah, where the sun will not strike us by day nor the moon by night. You can, your mind can go to Psalm 121. Good. What else? That's right. It grows through receiving life and we grow through reading God's word. Very good. Yeah. So you could almost say, I mean, if you look at the different, there's different seasons to the Christian life, right? There's times where there are no leaves. And those are colder times and maybe more barren times but there's still life going on yeah <laughs> that's okay very good yeah that's right so god can provide this for us for our own benefit and it is but god's power is infinite it could recreate another another tree. Very good. Wow, that's a good one. Yeah, I like that. There's a fence around it. Um uh, protecting it from animals, it seems like uh somebody built that and uh reminds me of just how God protects us from all sorts of unseen things that we don't even realize. Very good. So the fence reminds us that, you know, God is is God who protects us and allows us and gives us space to grow. very good so the interconnection part of the tree you know all the different branches all leading upwards being drawn to yeah that's wow that's rich Yeah, the, it, 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 it's home. It gives home to, to, to much life. I mean, this is just a tree. You guys are doing great. What I I don't think we have time to do. It, but uh, one object that I usually give people to meditate on biblically is an iPhone. And <laughs> we an iPhone. But you get going, it's a GPS, it helps us be located, it (laughs) helps us communicate with one another in the same way God wants us to. Yeah, you can do it with anything, anything. So this is one thing that Cotton Mather um, teaches us. And I think it's a good practice in our prayer life. As we're going for a walk through Mundy Park is to reflect and to meditate on what we see. Um, One of the great Puritans, kind of late Puritan, is a guy named Jonathan Edwards, he actually came to faith. He came to faith, not through hearing about justification by faith, but he came to faith through observing a spider web and God's creative power. It's quite interesting. Okay, the last thing I'll say about the Puritans is this, is they were so heavenly focused that they were of earthly good. They lived with heaven on their mind. And this one book, um, Richard Baxter's, The Saint's Everlasting Rest, this is an abridged version. He, he, he says at the beginning of his book, he goes, I just want to write a, a brief, what was it he put? He goes, uh, he begins, he says, I want to begin with this brief reflection on heaven. And it was 800,000 words. <laughs> that sums up the Puritans right there. That's brief, Richard, thanks. But anyhow, he says every day a, a Christian should go through their life meditating on the end. And that's why I love that song. that give me Jesus because it says when I die give me Jesus and so that picture of the entire life to live one's life with a view of heaven is really important because our time here is brief I have a very good friend of mine a very good friend of mine that I just heard yesterday he's got two months to live we're the same age a long-time friend of mine, and uh, so we don't know how much time we have. And so the Puritans teach us to live with the end in mind. And so what I'd like to do, just as we conclude, is pray a Puritan prayer with the end in mind. And then we'll worship in response. So let's pray. Lord, forgive the offenses that we have committed against you this day. Lord, we bless your name that you have continued our health and safety this day. Extend your hand of protection over us that we may quietly take the rest which you have appointed for the refreshing of our body, which is weak and weary. Lord, we ask that when this life ends and our last sleep comes, that we may eternally rest with you in your heavenly kingdom. Grant this, Heavenly Father, for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, our only Lord and Savior. Amen. Let's stand together in response and sing in response.